has not been a good week. I have a headache from stress, and for once it has nothing to do with sex or being a parent. In those arenas, life is in limbo. Fuck, that's my life. On this week's podcast, all the girls I'm not having babies with, for now at least, and good old Shasta McNasty. It's my unconventional life in limbo. I went to the woods because I wanted to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life, and see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. My name is Nigel McGuinness, and this is my unconventional life. It's a podcast, it's a journal, and in a way it's kind of a personal ad. But most of all, it's about navigating the treacherous waters of love, sex and relationships in 2016. Sponsored by, you guessed it, no one right now. Every week I detail my own journey and discuss my own untraditional views and aspirations in that world. Whatever the topic, whoever the guest, it all comes back to one question. How do we best find and express love in 2016? Rains, it pours. Has not been a good week. Been very stressful, and if I'd had to record this a couple of days ago, I probably would have used a lot of expletives that I would have regretted. Because at the time, I thought that due to a miscommunication, I wasn't going to have a new apartment to move into, and was going to have to get out of my old apartment and put all my stuff in storage and essentially be homeless. But we managed to figure things out, and my good friend was gracious enough to let me crash at her place and leave some things here as well. And long story short, I have keys to the new place and a new roommate, and hopefully by the next time I record this, I will have a new apartment and I will be settled and have internet and a rooftop patio and be living the dream, baby. So anyway, the stuff relevant to this podcast, Rachel was super upset after I wasn't ready to move forward as her parenting partner. We talked on the phone one morning uh, the following week, She said that she viewed her search for a partner as a failure now and uh, didn't understand why we didn't work out. So I tried to explain my concerns that, you know, we never came close to figuring out the details. And she said that she was waiting for me to say, yes, you're the person I want to have a kid with to sort out the details. And I was waiting for the, the details to say, yes, you're the person I want to have a kid with. And with the seriously limited amount of time we were together, or even talked about this when we weren't, with her being in Europe, etc., we just never met in a middle ground. So in the end, she used donor sperm, and I think now she has about five or six embryos to implant whenever she's ready. After a few days, however, though, she talked to some friends and felt more reassured about things. And she actually made so many eggs this time that she's thinking about doing another round of IVF early next year. And she has two more potential parenting partners. So, you know, it could all work out after all. And I really hope it does because I think she's a fantastic human and she'd make a wonderful mother again. 
I actually went over to hang out with her before I left this weekend and she seems to have rediscovered her libido. (laughs) When I detailed the dearth of sexual interaction in my life, she said, oh, you just need a friend with benefits type of scenario and that she would be interested, playfully showing me by grinding on me. But it just wasn't there. I think I have too many hang-ups about sex. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure I'm in the right place to be sexual with anyone right now. And even though being celibate is pretty rotten too. Plus, she has this thing about how I hate farts. She thinks it's hilarious. She even bought this little gimmick that makes fart noises and tries to get me to react to it. I mean, it's funny. I get it. But it just doesn't inspire that sexual connection with someone. Still haven't met the girl from Ventura yet, but uh, we've texted a few times and I have a very good feeling about her. Even though she's not ideally looking for a full parenting partner, more of a donor because she has a current romantic partner, maybe not being a full-on parent is better for me in my situation anyway. I don't know. I still do feel very drawn to Supermom. I mean, we have a rapport. I feel like we're connected or destined somehow. Yeah, who knows? I've been watching Roman Atwood vlogs. He's a big um, YouTube personality. And he talks about being a parent. And it just has really reminded me of what I'm missing out on by not having kids. Did another interview for a potential reality show last week. Uh, It's kind of like The Bachelorette, but for sperm donation. So maybe not my thing, but it could draw a lot of attention to this podcast at least. With my new editing gig, blog, podcast, diet, and now trying to find a fucking apartment, there's literally nothing else in my life. Dating? Forget about it. No time to even look on websites, let alone meet anyone. I feel like it's going to be a long time before I'm sexually active again. Which, like I said, maybe it's for the best but I am rather disconcertingly apathetic about the idea. Having a low libido can become a vicious cycle. The interview this week is with my friend Kevin, who used to wrestle as Shasta McNasty in my early days of wrestling. He used to book me and Cody Hawk to drive four hours from Cincinnati to BB McLean's to do a technical wrestling match on a nothing else but hardcore wrestling show. But we've become great friends over the years. He's a wonderful human being, cares deeply about me. He was featured heavily in my documentary and he always seems to be happy and positive. Certainly something that I could learn from. Here he is, my friend Kevin. It is late on Saturday night. We're in San Antonio, Texas. I'm looking out of my hotel window at XTC nightclub and burlesque show and I'm with one of my favorite people in the world Kevin or Shasta as I've known him for god well over a decade how are you my friend very good how are you I'm okay not so bad yeah got a bit of a sore throat we've been up discussing the great American bash which we are in town for but we're here now to discuss my unconventional life and uh, your take on it we've known each other for like i said what over a decade right um yeah for sure i would definitely oh it's been well over a decade honestly it's probably believe it or not it would have been at minimum 15 years because 2001 would have been the very first civic center show 
that was when we first met, or was it? Well, babies? no, we met before that, but it would have been that year, maybe, uh, maybe no more than a year before then. So fifteen plus years. Right. Okay. Did I always seem like I wanted to live an unconventional life? Was I weird? I, I do remember, and I remember I talked to you this actually after I retired, saying there was one moment where you said to me that you knew I was going to do something in wrestling. Sure more than the average person and yes. it really struck a chord with me and it really rang true did you always think i was weird or no. odd or different no i didn't and it's funny uh that you just brought that story up because right before i came up here i'm pretty wide open when i'm around you most of the time and i do that just because i try to balance uh, people out in other words uh, sometimes i can tell when you're up and down basically so i'm always up or at least around you so I think that you think I'm that way all the time, but it's really not. It's just for you. Uh, but actually, when you left the room, I actually sat down and I told the same story you just told. And I said, he doesn't realize this, but that's probably one of the greatest things that was ever said to me in this business, that you took what I said to heart and you remembered it when you did something. For me, that resonated. And I just told that story, got on the elevator, came up here, and you opened with it. So wow. it must mean something to both of us. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. But when, I mean, because we became sort of close of friends, what, after like five years or something sure. like that of hanging out? And when did I start talking to you about my different worldviews in terms of dating and stuff like that? To me, when I felt that maybe something was different, honestly, it was really, I believe, when you got married, when I would hear things going on in the marriage life, I think that it was maybe, maybe you had a mindset because you didn't know yet. You don't know what marriage is until you're involved in it. And I think once you get involved in it and you really are able to say, okay, I've done this. Um, and I hear a lot of the same kind of things. So, you know, I'm not that much different than anybody else other than how things work out or not. So your marriage is when I started noticing. What was your, I saying? It seemed like, well, I'll tell you what surprised me. I can remember this for sure. What really surprised me was, if I'm not mistaken, did you not go to Amsterdam one time? Yeah. <laughs> You've always been, to me, truthfully, very curious, George. And honestly, you're very intelligent. But in some aspects, to me, you're very naive. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think you have... There's an innocence about that that I can appreciate. It's the same qualities in which why well, I like you, but there's sometimes it blows my head that I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. There's no way he could be, but you truly are so naive to things. But when you went to Amsterdam, and I don't remember exactly what stage your marriage was at, but I do know that you were willing to try some things. You were definitely willing to jump outside your comfort zone. Now, I'm not going to put you out there. You can tell your own story there, but I know that you definitely did some things that... Uh, well, this is the story that I tell oftentimes yeah. when people talk about you know, their first sort of experience with illicit substances. <laughs> I went to Amsterdam with my wife at the time, and you know, when you're in Rome... Do as the, the Romans do. Now, I have asthma, and so I could never smoke. It didn't really appeal to me anyway, but um, my ex-missus was always into that and was ecstatic about the fact that she could smoke in a public place. So we went to a, a cafe, and she ordered a, a spliff and had a smoke. And I thought, oh, I should probably do something, you know. So I ordered one of these things on a menu called a space bonbon, <laughs> which... 
I didn't really know what was in it. And uh, I ate one of them and I was pretty big at the time. I was 220, so sure. a good 45 pounds heavier than I am now. God, I look like the machinist now. Um, and so I ate one and waited half an hour and nothing happened. And I'm like, they're done me here now, you know what I mean? Like this is basically, they've seen that we're tourists, we're from America and they've just sold me like a Reese's PC cup or something sure. like that. But I thought, well, I'm big. Maybe it's not enough. So I ordered a second one. <laughs> All right. Ate that. Still nothing. And I'm thinking, right, F this. I'm not doing this anymore. So we left. We went to the Red Light District because that was our plan on the agenda to you know, do everything that Amsterdam had to offer. Well, close to everything Amsterdam had to offer. And we got to this place. And I'll never forget. It was like this old warehouse, a small little warehouse. And there was a little square stage in the middle. And there were church pews, three rows all the way around. And so we sat in there and I started seeing the place fill up. And there were businessmen. There were like young students. There were old men. It was a real eclectic bunch of people that come in there. And they handed out these pamphlets these flyers if you would for the actual show and they've been typed out on an old school keyboard and there were three acts and i'll never forget the first one was banana woman <laughs> sure the second one was romeo and juliet okay and the third one was girl with toys oh wow okay. and so i was like right girl with toys this is fantastic this is you know this is what i'm into so Banana Woman came out and she was this rather heavy set uh, woman of African descent. Okay. Yeah, and sure. she sort of just sat spread eagled in the middle <laughs> of the stage, inserted a banana okay. in her nether regions and peeled it. And then little by little would point to someone. They'd come out, take a bite oh from it. Oh my God. Round of applause. Like undo the banana a little bit more, point to somebody else. The next person came out. It was very entertaining, you know. So how much banana did you eat that night? <laughs> no yeah. cramps. So then Romeo and Juliet came out and they were sort of this South American looking couple. And this guy looked like, you know, you see the wrestlers in the 80s that were all jacked up on test but had no diet. So yeah. they were just sort of like, big, yeah, yeah, big but like fat as well. And, you know, when they say some guys have got like a baby's forearm, oh. it was monstrous oh. and like... I mean, it was almost looked flaccid, but it was moving around like it was an elephant's yeah, trunk. It, it got, you know, so he had some control. I guess so. Yeah. And and the woman was sort of a little heavy set, but monstrous boobs oh, as God, well, yeah. sort of National Geographics. <laughs> and um, I'll never forget it was. Vivaldi's Spring from the Four Seasons. And they're dancing around and this pendulous cock is just going up and <laughs> inside her and back out. Oh, and it was amazing. It was a sight to see. Wow. But I remember thinking, oh. okay, this is all right, but I'm still waiting for Girl with Toys. Sure. And then before Girl with Toys got there, all I remember, it was as though... Someone had opened the top of my head <laughs> and taken a big bucket of like hot syrup yeah. and just poured it inside. And I remember feeling it start at the top of my head and going down and not knowing what the fuck this was. And I remember turning to my wife and going, I'm fucked. <laughs> we gotta go. That, that's what you thought you sounded like, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> 
It's all I can remember is like flash shots of reality. I remember walking outside and feeling the cold air. I remember being on the floor of a taxi cab and seeing like orange lights going by in the sky. I remember like tiptoeing through the hotel trying to be quiet. And then I remember without a doubt the best night of sex I've ever had in my entire life life. it was like porn sex it was like every position went to the next position there was no need to stop change it just worked every hole a goal you were dancing better than those other people you were in rhythm (laughs) it was it was exactly like you couldn't pick for a better night of sex amazing I remember beforehand we'd walked through a sex shop and there was actually a strap on Oh, wow. Okay. And gotcha. I remember my ex-wife, like, joking about oh, it. Oh, she was testing the water. She was like, he's fucked up. I'm going to see if he'll take this up the ass. If she'd have bought it? Yeah. I'd have were, lost it. You know what's crazy? And I'm going to ask you this. When they gave you those, maybe you could explain this, because I'm thinking you're in a cafe, and she's smoking. Was this thing that they made, was it just THC-based? I mean, in other words, was it... Lord knows. So you don't know what it was. It could have added some ecstasy I think yeah, it's an MDMA. It? Who knows? The, what you're explaining... Does it sound like when people talk about weed or creeper, that's something that that body feeling that you got, it was 100% something more than just THC. So I'm just thinking you were on MDMA. Right. Well, whatever it was, like, you know, the next day I felt like I had SARS. Wow, you you were drawn up. Crashed like I've never felt, not suicidal, but just apathetic to everything. I mean, just it was dreadful. Dreadful. So what part of that story, when I told it to you originally, made you think that I was different? Or? No, it didn't make... Well, that's the, that's the point. It wasn't making me think that you were different. To me, it was more or less, there's an integrity part of you that is extremely respectful. But I think it's a, even a different in countries. Like, I think when you came here, you were so fixated on wrestling that you really never experienced a lot of... I don't think the culture of how we are ever spread to you. And I think you've took bits. Like I said, it's almost like an innocent, it's almost like right. an innocence to it. Yeah. I mean, you said naive and I think I would certainly concur with that. Do you think I'm being naive in my idea that, you know, monogamy should be the exception rather than the norm and that a romantic relationship is counterintuitive sometimes to a parenting relationship that's the weird part about you where there's certain things that you do that i feel are naive and they're baby steps but then there's a greater thought that it's taken me it's almost like in some aspects you've gotten to the same place without experiencing as much does that make sense yeah i look back on my life and sometimes i feel like i haven't been a real participant when i look at other people's lives and that's because I'm risk averse sure. and I'm very cautious about moving forward. I mean, this whole thing about being a parenting partner, I probably could have moved forward by now, but I haven't because I'm just so cautious. And I think that is some ways my detriment. But, you know, I always love the story. We, somehow we've got to get to the story about the videotape. Oh, yeah, we will. We'll get there. But before we get there, I mean, where do you stand now? Because obviously you're married, but um, what's your viewpoint in the in the world scheme of dating? Do you think that monogamy should be a choice? Do you think it's a valid option, or how do you see the world? Well, with me, as far as just the, the monogamy or the relationship type situation with me is, I think that people get into relationships instantly, 
And no one is ever completely truthful with each other because they're afraid they're going to offend the other person. Mm. Uh, I think that's why relationships don't last. I think that's why cheating is very easy. People typically cheat not because they're necessarily uh, not in love or not liking the other person. I think it's that those are the things they can go do or they feel that they can be a certain way and not ruin what they've built with that other person. Right. But so you don't think you could have or people could have a consensually non-monogamous relationship? Sure. Because in the past, when you've been in exclusive relationships, you know, back in the day, you were somewhat um, unfaithful. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know what's weird? I was only that way one time. Was that... So that was... That's with the- no lie. That's honest to God. I only... I had always kind of been... Uh, I had it done to me, I think. I think when you realize, until you've ever had that done to you, it hits you like a ton of bricks, kind of. It's like, oh, shit. But then you start realizing, oh, fuck, well, that's just the way everybody is. I mean, it really is. It's not natural. It's not natural. I mean, we're all animals. I mean, that's why. I mean, mean, we're in a Sure, but there's a difference between cheating on somebody and being open and saying, this is who I am, right? I think that, that we're in a society where we can connect with more people now. I think that... I think that you have to be in several relationships and kind of learn what you like and dislike. So sometimes you're not lying to someone. You don't know what you like yet. You don't know what you're into. And then, you know, sometimes you're learning. Everybody gets together before they know each other. Nobody really sits down and talks and really puts it all out on front street. Right. We accept that, oh, well, not everything's going to be perfect. When truthfully, you don't really have to do anything until it is for you. And maybe that's never. Yeah. That's kind of with me. Like right now, it's hard for me to believe that a woman that could be 35 years old has never in her life masturbated because A, she doesn't think she has to, and B, she can't do it. And there's more women out there like that than you would know. It Mm. isn't that they don't want to tell their husbands because they don't want to offend him that maybe... It isn't that. It's literally they don't, you know, they don't do it. Yeah, it's how they've been raised and they haven't been, yeah, raised to sort of respect sex and self-love, I suppose. Yeah, I guess. And I get it because I feel like a complete wanker. Do you? It's just, you, you imagine a girl masturbating. Okay. And it's a beautiful scene. She's on silk sheets and there's gotcha. music playing and she's learning her own sexuality yeah now you imagine a guy masturbating he's in a dirty toilet huddled over like porno mag it's two completely different things well, by the way society sees it right well uh, but why do we see it that way i guess because we still have this notion of masculinity where if you aren't fucking a girl mm-hmm. then you're less of a man well here's my deal i think because i was always a risk taker that I never have looked at a girl laying in sheets. I can see a girl drunk on the toilet that just threw up and fingering herself. I've seen the craziest fucking shit on earth. I've sat between two twin sisters, and I swear to God, I had never done ecstasy in my life until I went down to Florida, which I know for a fact my cousin was trying to get me to do and didn't care if we fucked while she was in the shower. And I kept being scared of the shit because I didn't know what it was. In Florida, if you're going to do ecstasy for the first time, let me tell you, 1998, 99, ooh, baby, you're talking about the, the shit. So I try it with her. Well, I never knew she was trying to, she kept wanting me to do ecstasy with just her. And I didn't think anything about it until I did it. And then I'm like, oh, hell, this, me and her grew up about the same age, but she lived in Florida, I lived there. 
Now I knew when she was wanting me to go in there and talk to her while she's in the shower and she kept trying to get me to do Exy with her, what she's really wanting to do is fuck. I mean, straight up. But later on, I'm doing it. And I'll tell you how powerful it is. It'll have two twin sisters. And I'm not bragging. I'm not trying to look cool or nothing. But I swear to God, not many men on earth can say they've laid in the bed with two sisters who did not touch each other. I'll make that very clear. But they did XE, I did XE, and they were, and that shit will make you drop all your inhibitions. I mean, they were both in the bed, and they never touched each other, but I straight banged both of them out. And uh, one of them was married, as a matter of fact. She played wow. softball for the University of Florida State. Wow. And her husband was a military man. But ecstasy, listen, that's what it is. When you drop all your inhibitions, really, there's people that love each other and have sex and do all that. And then there's times you just fuck. And I think that there's people that just get down to the nitty-gritty. So I've saw all of it. I've... There's no shocking me, I think. I mean, I haven't ever saw a donkey show, but I would go watch one in Tijuana. But I mean, I just know it exists. It's not fairy tale. Right. How do we get to this bit? I don't know. I think I just <laughs> broke out. I think I just broke out when we just went in. I'm sorry if I went off just key there. talking about ecstasy. I think what it was is that we were talking about like how you perceive women. Like, uh, you know, you, you, I don't perceive them that way. Though. Maybe that's why. We were just talking about masturbation and you talked about how girls, certain girls aren't comfortable masturbating because no. they feel as though that's what guys should be doing. Sure. Well, yeah, and I think that's a small amount. I think most women are much more liberated and do what they want. Right. Right. I think think when you were saying you picture them one way, I was just saying I've never pictured it that. Maybe when I was 12. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. But so when you were, you know, this one time where you were unfaithful. Yeah, and listen. This is the story that. At that point in time, I'd only done that one time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So tell us the story. Okay, yeah, this is this is your favorite, I guess. But anyways, <laughs> I mean, there's no way to tell it, tell it. So I mean, I guess, you know, it did come back and haunt me. So there's, to me, there's kind of a sadness, but there's a learning experience. And truthfully, sometimes I think that's my punishment to this day. Yeah. I think I've been punished by the sex gods or the love gods or whatever, because I deal with a lot of crazy shit now. But anyways, I was in a relationship, great girl. Awesome girl. If I could have handpicked out somebody to raise my children, for sure. She was the one. Great. Very, very good girl. And, um, you know, in the wrestling business, you know, I guess rock stars have groupies and wrestlers have rats. It's just the truth. And uh, and I had a pretty rambunctious crowd around me. And um, realistically, there was this chick. She was coming. Now, it doesn't matter if she's black or white, but let's say the truth. She was black, and it has nothing to do with the story other than she would only screw white dudes. Huh. That was her deal. And I don't know, but she was uh, she was actually going to school, law school. And she started somehow, some way, she found her way to this show of ours with a friend at B.B. McLean's, which was our every two-week spot. I mean, it basically was that you could go do anything there, and if it worked, you could use it later on. Basically, It was a great place, though. It was an awesome place to be at. Yeah. And um, I think what I originally was doing was playing wingman. Wingman for a friend of ours, uh, I won't bring him up. He was seeing this chick and she came with her and she came to the shows with her. And I kind of was playing wingman with her. And through that, I found out that this girl, A, liked screwing white guys, and B, lived about a minute from my house. Right. So this was early on in a relationship that I ended up being in for about three years, actually. But once I found this out, I forget how it worked. Probably, truthfully, I was sitting at home one day, and I had just gotten a new video camera. 
And I don't know why I'd never really thought about doing anything before, but I knew she was into me. And I was like, I'm going to call this chick up. If she hasn't got class, I'm going to get her over here. And I know I can fuck her. I mean, it's just like a guaranteed thing. And I was like, I'm going to go set this video camera up in my bedroom. But this is the house that you were sharing with the girl oh, you were yes. seeing. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By means, yeah. This is the first house I ever lived in in Ohio. Wow. And yeah, that's the fucked up part I didn't think about. I understand how a woman would feel. It wasn't even my bed. It was her bed. I didn't even have a bed. She brought it there. Wow. That's the fucked up part. So don't get me wrong. I definitely see remorse in it. But when you're thinking with your dick at the time, and by the way, I don't know how. I don't know why I was even recording it. I don't even know why. Maybe I just wanted to watch. I think I was just fascinated. Like video, everybody didn't have video cameras in fucking 19, like right. 2000 or whatever. Not, not everybody, not 2002, <laughs> one, one. It's like everybody walked around with a thousand dollar camera, but I had one. So this is, by the, the way, she bought it. I mean, it just gets worse and worse. I know I sound like the worst motherfucker on earth, but I can tell you something to learn that back then was very valuable. Anyway, so I'm in the bedroom figuring out how to set this video camera up. I'm like putting a towel over, like a towel, a mound of towels on a dresser that has nothing else, but in the middle of it, a mound of towels. And then I'm I'm laying my face down on the dresser to make sure I'm fucking squared in on the bed correctly. So now I'm realizing where the shot is. So I've also got to participate to my camera shot. That being said, I set the camera up, I give her a call, and I'm talking about, you know, just as on cue. She comes over, she comes in the living room, she's probably at my house for five minutes. And two minutes in, I think we're going to fuck on the recliner. Because literally, like, she is all about it. I mean, 100% about it. And I, I don't know if it's just that her, she had was conquering uh, of the white race is what she was doing, or she liked me. But either way, she was very educated. She held herself to a certain degree. I mean, I don't know why. She just didn't, she didn't want anybody that wasn't educated. Like, you had to have a certain standard to screw this girl. It wasn't just that. So, you know, I don't know how she decided that with me when I'm running a wrestling show at BB's of all places, like the dirtiest shithole on earth. But anyways... She's trying to get it on my recliner. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm thinking, fuck. I'm probably only, I'm like, no, we've got to go in here to the bedroom. And so she did. And she never paid attention. Now, so I kind of shit on that girl too. But believe me, they both found out about it. This story doesn't end well. Yeah. So long story short, we get in there, you know, and I'm literally working the camera. I'm thinking about where it's showing and I'm trying to make sure I get everything in. And I think it was really this. I think I was doing it for myself then, but I knew for the boys later. Because I promise you, more than one person watched this tape. You know, they were showing their highlights of their matches, and I'm like, hey, watch this. You know that chick that comes to BBs? I'm fucking her. You want to watch it? And that was the thing for a while. So I would say maybe five or six people viewed this. Right. Well, I'm in my relationship. Fast forward a couple, you know, a couple of years later, and I'm going to a show, and I'd had it in a gear bag. I'd always hit it, and I'd written a different title on it because nobody was going to go through my wrestling tapes because there was tons of them, but I marked this a special certain way. So I thought, yeah, I'm on the way to a show. I'm going down the interstate. And and by this time, I didn't know what was going to happen with myself and who I was with at the time. Two years later, I'm three years into something and it dawned on me. 
what am I still doing with this fucking tape? So I grab the tape, buy the tape, you know, the old school tapes, yeah. you pull, and I sling the son of a bitch out the window, and I hold on to the tape, and I drive down the interstate until the son of a bitch snaps. <laughs> now, I don't know whose matches I threw away, but it wasn't that tape. Because later on, and this is the fucked up part, no matter how I got caught, you got to remember something. I was not trying to get caught merely to protect myself. I'm just being honest. I also was protecting someone's feelings that something that happened almost three years ago, that there was no need for her to go through that. And so, you know, I had a, somebody that was involved with us with the show, and they literally did it. I could have actually gave them credit if they would have been trying to take my girl or something. I actually could have given that credit. They weren't. The weak-ass fucker was trying to get back with his own girlfriend and for some reason wanted to show how much different he was than me because he hung around me like I was this fucking evil monster that he decides to whip the tape out and show it to her because he had swapped them. He held it on me, basically. Wow. He had took the tape and that's why I think he, he basically made sure that he had had the copy and, no, and I didn't know about it. So he's a thief, too. And he whipped it in and showed it to her. I'm at the show. Yeah. And uh, I was in her car. And her brother showed up to pick up the car. I'm at a show. And I find out that she was at home. And she had watched the tape actually two days later. Earlier. So she had to play off to me. That she, which I, Oh, my God. I know, that's what I'm saying. Because she was such a sweetheart. And still is to this day. Yeah. That for two days, and look, man, without a doubt, it was crushing. I mean, like, that's the most fucked up thing I've ever done in my life. And I say it to this day. I always have. She's the one that got away. I mm -hmm. fucked that up. And trust me, I, I have paid for it for over a decade now, I promise you. But anyways, it made me look at life. So I did learn something by it. She watched it. I don't think she should have ever saw it. Oh, dreadful. Uh, that's what made never me get want to kill it. him. Yeah, yeah, that's what made, honestly, to this day, I've never saw him. I told <sighs> him that if it was 50 years from now and he was coaching his son in Little League, I would tear his arms off and beat him in the fucking brains with him. Not for me, for what he did. To, that To me, it was a bad thing he did to her, even though it was through me. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, neither of you are, are innocent, for sure. No, 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 yeah. no. But like, she'd have to see that. No, no, I mean, yeah. And you know what? Any sensitive, conscionable person would never... Yeah, you yeah. could tell her and say, I don't want to show you this, but ask him. And we, it could have all been done without seeing it. Long story short, though, we oh. actually stayed about a year together after that. Wow. She moved, to, she moved to her mother's. We were as in love as you could be, and trust me, yeah. I'd have never done anything after that. Right. I mean, it was kind of my one fuck up uh, that I'd ever done in my entire life at the point. Yeah. And, and But here was the deal. This is what comes back to bite you. But truth be known, she went out and dated somebody. She had known the guy for two weeks, got pregnant, and married him. Still but together today? Three kids, but I don't believe in my heart she would have ever married the guy. Yeah. But she called not. me crying and said, hey, this is what happened. She came from the type of family, though. When that happens, you stick with it. Yeah. And she knew him two weeks. Wow. And we were together, the, we were probably together the week before. Yeah, funny how life yeah, works Yeah, just how out. life goes. I felt it like is. she kind of shouldn't have deserved that maybe. but you know. No one deserves it, absolutely. I mean, I remember yeah. the first time you told me the story and it was sort of seeing you in the car throwing it out the window sure. that was kind of comedic. And yeah. then the second time I heard it, I was like, man, it's not really funny no, at all. It's no, pretty no. fucking it, devastating. It's, it's pretty deep, it is. But, you know... As you said, you learned from it. Do you think you guys could have ever had an open relationship? Well, you know what's crazy is this. 
there was times when her and I got together and you know, and we got to remember something, I'm 24, 25 years old. I'm fucking wanting to fuck everything with legs. I mean, really. And she literally had told me some stories about her and one of her friends, a girl masturbating together. And so I'm like, okay, sweet. I'm like, well, hey, will your friend come over here and do that with you now? <laughs> and she's like, I don't know, maybe. And I think that sometimes that girls think, or maybe they offer that or, or even present it or tease it. And maybe they're serious or not. But then when they feel that you're interested in it, then they back off. Cause maybe they, and I'll be honest with you. I kind of was pissed at her because I felt like she dangled a carrot in front of my face a little bit. Yeah. And she kind of brought shit up that maybe she thought I wanted to hear, she brought that up. Well, I think a lot of times early in relationships, yeah, girls are genuinely up for that sort of thing. But then once they get more into a serious relationship, yeah, it's almost like they feel deeper, yeah. then they don't want to share you. And I think those feelings of jealousy and the fear of loss and the idea of you being with somebody else when you've got deeper feelings for somebody is way stronger, which I guess speaks to the question of whether an open relationship can work. I mean, I, I don't know, really. I mean, here I am talking about polyamory and non-monogamy, and I'm pretty much celibate. Yeah. You know I what mean, I mean? It's, yeah. That's I mean, the reality. Not by choice. <laughs> Partly is by choice. Yeah. I mean, the truth is there are girls I could have slept sure. with. You know, you're, you're just, picky. You yeah. have some standards. I kind of, I kind of am. I do too, but not. I used to not. I mean, I don't care. Right, right. But do you think if you guys had had an open relationship, you'd still be together today? Here's what I found that's been in the lifestyle, and I've saw that's worked. Because remember the twins I told you about? My yeah. That? Their parents were swingers, huh. and, and that's kind of funny. And guess what? Have been together for a long time. Right. But they, I think. Oh, here's the funny thing. Their mom and dad, their mom and dad were actually divorced. Their dad remarried years later. And was uh. in a, but it seems to me anytime I've saw that, it seems to work towards the latter part of life. Yeah, that certainly does seem to be the case. But there is a huge difference between swinging and non-monogamy. Well, I, yeah, I, I realize that. But I'm just saying what's been known up to that point was just kind of that lifestyle. Right. The idea of polyamory um, or consensual non-monogamy is deep, meaningful relationships with more than one person in the sexual realm versus swinging where you have one primary partner and you have physical sex with somebody else, but not necessarily emotional sex. And so they're two very different things. And to me, I mean, you said sometimes people just get down and do it. Uh-huh. I've done my best to do that, and but can. I just really can't. Well, you know what? That's that, that has to be a fact of this then. But basically what you're saying is anybody you have sex with, you generally have to have an, uh, an emotional attachment to. Seems to be that way. And guess what? I'm just telling you for me, then that means there's two sides of the story. I can have that with somebody. So I don't want to seem like it's out of that mind. Mm. It, it definitely, but it doesn't happen with everybody. And I think that's the way I lean towards. Like I can fuck somebody and literally get them up and I can throw them off the balcony. I'm just being honest. I mean, I, I can I can separate. I think those are the people that are more prone or more successful to be in a open relationship. Really, I do. This is why I think that. I think that when you bring when emotions come into things and they go that strong, for me that would be I, my. I've never had it. I guess. I mean, in other words, I couldn't feel the exact same way about two people unless I set off to almost have two totally separate relationships and put the same amount of energy into both and only look at it that way. Because I could screw a chick and not bother. I, mean, I don't, I don't sure, know Sure, but why within the sexual realm do we make it all or nothing? Like, 
I have plenty of friends. Some okay. friends I'm very close with, sure. some friends I'm less close with. Sure. But I don't say I'm either really close with one person or I don't really give a fuck about them at all. There's a whole spectrum. Why can there not be that same spectrum within the sexual realm? Why does it either have to be this is an all-in exclusive relationship or it's casual, meaningless sex? Well, let me ask you this. Do you believe in? Do you believe when they will rate personalities? Like if you have an A type, a B type, do you believe in that? Do you think there's those kind of people? Because they seem to follow trends. I mean, there's a few different ideas and, and sort of paradigms for personalities, depending on who you are. It's different tests for them. But, sure. But what does that mean, though? Well, I think that maybe that maybe maybe that plays into the same kind of key. I mean, maybe... Uh, we, so- I, keep, I can tell you this. Me, personally, maybe this is where it does. I'm not one that keeps up with 50 people. I, keep, I have a very... I'm very, 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 very loyal-driven. Look, me and Cody are cool. I met you and Cody at the exact same time. I've actually probably been around Cody more than I have you just because of your travels, where you live. Me and him are totally, if I saw him today, it'd be like I saw him yesterday. My point is this. You and I, for some reason, are closer. I don't know why. Maybe we opened up. I don't know. I don't know what makes that happen. Girls, for the most part, seems that they can have 20 best friends and they'll float in and out of them. Myself, I've kept the same hardcore group of people close to me that I can count on, like, you know, maybe two hands total. Mm. And even you would fall out of the first hand, but you're somewhere in the second hand. Does that make sense? Right. Just due to longevity. So, yeah, so basically, um, as in most spheres of life, some people are capable of having successful open relationships with more than one person, other people perhaps aren't and the key then is to figure out which one you are and and the bigger question is how many people fall into the first category and how many fall into the second and where is everybody on the scale and because when you look at the world now we all de facto go into we can have one serious relationship and nothing else but perhaps there are a lot more people who are able to have open relationships but just because for me I just never thought it was an option And, and let's be perfectly honest I haven't lived that life yet. I've met people who have, but I don't know for 100% sure if it's open. All I know is when I look at the world and I see so many people trying to live in this lifelong monogamous norm, it doesn't seem to be working out a lot of times. I'll agree with that, but I do think this, though, and this is it too. First of all, we can reach anybody, any second, anywhere, anytime. We're all instantaneous gratification. Think about when you take the risk that you take them. Okay, so like, for instance... The first time maybe I smoked pot or did drugs was, you know, 12 or 13 year old in a buddy's basement and we're rolling up pot leaves. The first time you go do drugs, you do it in Amsterdam. It's almost like if you do take a chance, you want it to be, or it seems Mm. to be that it falls further outside of the norm. Yeah, I guess because I am so risk averse that when I do finally take a jump, I jump off yeah, <laughs> with both feet, and that's that's what I'm facing. Now, in terms of being a parent, of course, is, is that something that you've ever wanted or you do want now? I feel that I am in a way, and I know that, uh, A, I had siblings all younger than me, much younger for the most part. Well, well, I got a brother in the mid-30s, I got a sister early 30s, I got a brother that's in his mid-20s. It's a big jump. Mm. I remember wondering how my mom and dad so had sex when I'm 15. I found out she's having a baby. <laughs> having younger siblings, I always spent time with them. So I do kind of know that aspect of it. But I have a dog right now that I've had for many years. And I, and I never got it with dogs. I never understood how people could be that way. 
But like I swear, like there's a quality about them that's unhuman like that's even better. Nothing that doesn't relate to the same. Honestly, you, you change a diaper, you teach them to go outside. I mean, it's a 24 7 thing. Like, uh-huh. If they're sick, you go to the vet. If my dog needed to go to the vet bad enough and there was something bad, I would walk into a fucking bank and rob it to keep him from suffering. I can't imagine not doing any more than that for a child. Now, here's the deal I don't have a child. If it's greater than that, I might not need one. It's interesting. One of my best friends in Australia never really wanted kids and uh, just sort of came into being because I know his wife wanted them. And now he says it's the greatest thing. And he was the same. Still got the little dog that he loved. And he's like, this is enough for me. I don't need a kid. But now he's got this little, just turned one actually, just turned one and says it's the The most amazing thing in the world. And I'm seeing so many friends now who've had kids later in life and now they're getting like three, four, four, five years old, and I'm thinking, ah, it's slipping away from me. You, you feel like it's running? Well, that's funny, too, because with my situation, to be honest with you, everybody I've known has always told me I would always be the greatest father. I mean, I think I have that kind of compassion and loyalty. Who I'm with, I would not have had a kid with her for so many years because I knew I'd end up with all the weight. Well, she's since had nephews and nieces and things. She's in her mid-30s now, and I feel that coming on. That's also why I kind of feel like it's time to go a different direction because that's not a step I'm going to take with somebody that's that's useless uh, to do that. But then also I feel like I shouldn't keep her going either. You know, if she's ready to roll that way. Right. I, I do. I think I'd be fine with kids for the longest time. It was this. You think financially. I want to make sure I'm stable financially. Nobody wants to give their child less than they've had, so they want to be able to do more. So, yes, I'm good with children. For sure. I think I would be good with it, but maybe not with who I'm with. Right. And so that being the case, if you were going to have kids, would you want to find, you know, a traditional romantic relationship or would you be open to having it with someone you were friends with or is there something in between? Do you think there is an ideal situation? Yeah, I know what what? it is. This is the same thing I did with my dog. I know you're going to think it's crazy. I I think I would adopt. Yeah, yeah. I think I would adopt. I used to joke and always say, "Listen, we're going to go adopt a three, uh, a five foot tall, three year old um, black child." That's what I used to say, just to be funny. I said, "Well, we're going to be an athlete. I ain't got to work no more." Just being funny, but truthfully, for some reason, I think that I would be better with a little girl. Hmm. I don't know why. I don't know. There's nothing. I mean, other than I don't know. They're just always drawn. I have a goddaughter and a godson. Yeah, I'm closer with my goddaughter. You know, I think I I, I see the evil ways of my godson because I was his age one time. Right. So I have godchildren. You know what I mean? Yeah. People often say that to me, like, "Hey, if you don't find someone to have a kid with, then why don't you just adopt?" And the truth is, I don't think it's very easy to adopt as a single man, I, I especially if I don't have the finances to really support a kid on my own. Well, I mean, let me ask you this. If you don't have one to support on your own, why would you have one with anybody else? Because you're not guaranteed to be with them either. Well, in a parenting partnership, then you split the cost of everything. Well, and you, more importantly, you have it legal? Each, of course. Yeah, okay, you, I didn't know how. I didn't know the, I didn't know the legal tenders yeah, of it. Yeah, you can sign a contract. But again, it's like any contract. It's only as good as the people that sign it. Oh, know? well, then it's nothing to it. Then, well, then, yeah. but it's the same as married. No, well, then, then, then just adopt a child. Are you doing the, are you doing the Planned Parenthood just for the child point? I'm doing it because I believe the best environment, at least as far as I'm concerned, is to have a non-sexual platonic relationship with the parent of my child. Sure. 
because I think it's a safer bet to say that eventually a sexual relationship will dissolve. Sure. And if you're mature and adult enough, then, you know, you can sort of co-parent and carry on seeing other people. But oftentimes you're only 50% of the equation and you never know how that's going to work out. So at least it seems to me I would much rather make a parenting relationship the most important part of a relationship with somebody and have a sexual relationship with somebody else. That, to me, seems to be more of a working situation. But, of course, I've got to find one person, and actually two people. Yeah, you have to find two people. <laughs> that feel that same way. Wait a minute, you got to have one other thing now. you got to remember, you also have to be emotionally attached to who you have sex with. So it isn't just finding another person to have sex with. We can, we can walk across to ecstasy right now and do that. <laughs> you actually have to find somebody you can emotionally attach yourself to and have sex, and then find somebody that you feel is on the same level with you to plan parent with. So... Just so you know, you're going to have a kid when you're like 62. It sounds daunting. I know. But what are my other options? My other options are to just what? Never. Are you afraid you're not going to experience the extreme? That's another experience though. Because here's this. I talked to you a couple of weeks ago. And I'm not kidding you. You sound like you're fucking ready to jump off a building. And then, <laughs> and this is why though. This is why you're ready. You, 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 had the, you had the lease situation and all this, and, and you're fucking thinking about trying to have a child while you're trying to figure out how to get in a lease. It's like you put so much on yourself. Yeah. And I don't know why you do that, but I mean, I don't know. When I, think- I was 19, I got meningitis. I nearly died. And when I came out of the coma, I said, you've got to do everything you can with every moment of your life, which is why I pursued being a professional wrestler, which is why I write, which is why I do a blog, which is partly why I do this podcast, which is why I try to travel and see my friends and eat right and push LA fights and try and do everything I possibly can with what I believe about passionately. Yes. But perhaps I'm spreading myself too thin and I need to focus. Yeah. And you, and you, maybe you're spreading yourself too thin in the wrong areas. Yeah. It's like I'm always trying to say, okay, if I can just get LA fights made, if I can just get a career, if I can just then, but it it's won't never be coming. It'll never be it's there. N- I'm never going to be it's there. It's going to be what's next. I know. But I don't feel as though I can take that step to be a parent in the same way I can take that step to try and get a job or move into a new apartment, you know? No, and, and I realize that. And here's the one thing. You seem to really, really set yourself up for the hardest things. And a lot of things that you don't take risk on are some of the more simple things that I think you would enjoy. And for some reason, you feel like you have to run. You, you can't just make, take a nice jog and enjoy something or take something out of life. Or, you know, it's okay. Like I experimented and did things because. I, once I did, once I realized it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't all these. Dem- I used to think, oh my God, Lynn Bias died on the basketball floor. He did cocaine. He was a basketball player. Fuck if I do it, I'm def- I'm gonna blow up. Because it's a, it's what we build in our head. But I'm saying like maybe you should start enjoying some of the smaller risk and, and, and that reflect back to you if you enjoy them or not. And For example. I mean, I won't tell you right now, if you get good stuff, I mean, there is nothing. I almost flew here, by the way, and I just left him in the car and it would have been easy. I had two hits of acids that somebody just gave me right before I left. I'm just being honest with you. I figured out a real cool way. And I don't think me, that doing more drugs no, is going to really that, but we were talk, That's all we've talked about was little things like that. Yeah. I don't know what things like, you know, I mean. You know. I definitely think dating is an issue yeah. with me. I, I think that I, there are too many caveats to me having sex. You know, there's too many things that I have to, I have to feel this way about them. I, remember, I know something now. 
I just thought about it. When, because I see a glitter in your eye when you're around me. See, if you were around me longer periods of time, you would have already done a lot more shit. Because I would have coached you into it, and I almost had you. And we just realized this two years ago. When we were in L.A. Remember when we went up and pulled off the side of the road? You were worried about me burning the fucking mountain down with a cigarette. <laughs> Don't throw your cigarette down. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, chill out. They do have wildfires that destroy homes. I lived in Florida. It's second wildfire place. So Jesus, anyways, got you. So anal, and I told you about the fucking page. Now that was it was. Now you hear all about it. But I. Had, I was like, look, don't you? I was going to buy a chick and just to have fun. Like, I don't care. Let her come over and blow you. And it was like, you were like, you were looking at me like, really? It's a, you were getting all wound up, but I just wasn't with you long enough. I'd have been there two more days. You'd have, you'd have been getting your dick sucked. So you're talking about backpages.com. Well, that was, remember how to think about it. Right. Which yeah. was essentially. What, 2014, because we 2014, just looked at the 2014, right. Yeah, September early. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's. Well, why not try it? I guess that's the thing. Go to Vegas. Go to the whorehouse. I mean, just do something fun. What's it matter? I mean, you, I mean, it's no different than if you met somebody out and knew them for two weeks and fucked them. You take the same risk. I mean, you know, you know those kind of things. I guess is like, you know, I think the first time, honestly, I was ever with a prostitute. I swear to God, I think I, the first time me and my buddies found this hooker that lived in the projects, and if we would buy a pack of cigarettes and bring ten dollars, we'd get a blowjob. And my buddy was 15 driving a fucking Geo Spectrum. And we would go over there. And once you get that first pack of cigarettes at $10, I'm telling you, I bet you every fucking week we're trying. <laughs> oh, my God. And I'm not even shitting you. She's probably a 250-pound black woman, about 40-something years old. And she would suck your <laughs> make your asshole pucker. <laughs> I'm telling you. And I swear to you, oh, my God, it was horrendous. We go to the projects. It was fucking ridiculous. But I'll tell you what, I can still remember. And uh-huh. I can still see her open that door and go, come on in. And I know what she did with that $10. She bought crack. Yeah. You could smell it. You could smell it in the house. You could smell crack. But I did it, and I don't. It doesn't bother me when I see my friends that I did that with. We're like, "Hey, remember fifteen, Kite Street?" I guess so. But when I hear that, I don't. I don't envy it. I well, don't have I don't, any desire. I don't for envy that. it now either. And, and you know, I when I think about having sex with a prostitute, paying for sex. Just doesn't resonate with me. I've got nothing against no, it. No, no, in actual fact. Kind of envious of it, you know. But I, I say I'm envious, but it's stupid because I'm the only person who's stopping myself from doing it and just letting it go and living for a little. Well, it's just saying, yeah. What's it, what's it hurt? I mean, I mean, I, guess. I don't know. It's the same thing as been in situations when you know when I was younger, when girls just wanted to fuck, and I was like, nah, I don't really know you well, you know. That's different. I mean, so is that really me, or is that just? the way I was raised and I think a lot of times in life I do things because I know that's different than what everybody else did and this is going to get deep it all comes back to my original fear of death and I wanted to act so differently than everybody else because subconsciously if I'm different than everybody else everybody else is doing drugs and getting high and fucking prostitutes and whatever else and I don't do that then maybe subconsciously I'm not going to grow old and die like I know they are as well. 
I mean, that was kind of the realization You've I had. You've had that fear of death, haven't you? But you know what? I've come to terms with it and touch wood. I think it's gone now. With with my dad's passing, I've sort of looked at the world in a way more Buddhist sense now to where we're all part of the same thing. I don't see my dad. I know my dad physically is dead. Sure. But I think such a huge part of me is my dad that I still feel like he lives on. Maybe you needed that close of a death to happen. By the way, just I've got to know. I don't care if you cut this and edit it later, just so we're on the same conversation. What made you at that age? Do you remember what triggered you fearing death? Like, because at some point, children don't even think about dying. Yeah, no, I do. Uh, when I was at school, I had to do religious education, <laughs> and before then, I always considered myself—I wouldn't say a Christian—but. In England, you only get to hear the good parts of Christianity. Sure. New Testament, pretty much. Sure. Baby being born, Jesus saving the world, sure. dies, resurrected. And, you know, I remember my dad saying, when you die, you die and that's it. And there's nothing else afterwards. And I remember thinking, he's just mad. Yeah. You know what angry, I mean? Yeah, he's just gotcha. angry. He doesn't really feel that way because that's all I'd ever heard otherwise. Sure. But then when I was forced to study other religions – just suddenly occurred to me that they were all wrong. They either there were some universal themes that perhaps were true in a vague sense, but in a literal sense, they all had to be wrong. Otherwise, one small portion of the world was right and everybody else was wrong. Sure, well, and, 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 and safety. People build a safety net. Right. You know, it's it's security. So basically, when I realised that. And I guess a, a lot of my sense of not fearing death was the notion that sometime way in the future I was going to go to heaven and see everybody again. Sure. Save that. Once I realized that wasn't going to happen, I was like, holy shit, one day I will grow old and I will die and I will never exist again. And it was that I will never exist again ever for the rest of eternity that was absolutely abhorrent. Horrific. So horrific and terrible that there were nights I couldn't sleep. I'd stay awake, like shaking, absolute petrification that one day I wouldn't exist. And it went on for the longest time. It really did. Uh, but again, it wasn't until, yeah, even in the last year or so and, and sort of studying more about Buddhism and it's just how you view the world. Well, no, and I don't see myself as a separate entity anymore. I see myself, I see the similarities that I have with other human beings more so than differences now. And that's helped me to a great extent as well, come to terms with a lot of things that I consider as failures in my life because I'm just part of a bigger story. Yeah. Everything you do is when you do take or put that in your mind and you can't get it out, you go in whatever that point is where I can cut it off and focus on something else or move on from it and let it go, you can't. Yeah, I don't do things by halves. That's what my friend Andrew always says. He says, you know, when you put your mind to something, whether it's the blog, which I've done weekly now for what, nearly two and a half years, sure. or this podcast I'm doing every week. I write my diary every day. I haven't missed a day since I was 12 years old. I don't know there are many people that have done that, you know. Do you, do, what, do you feel accomplishment by it or do you feel let down if you don't? Let down if I don't. I who, feel a who tremendous do you let sense, down? It's just a tremendous sense of obligation um, of, of living up to my standard. Living up to my agreements, you know, that's the one thing about being a parent. Rachel said to me, you know, instead of necessarily looking for someone else and saying, you know, what am I looking for with somebody else? Look at yourself and say, what am I bringing to the table in terms of being a parent? You know, sure. 
and that's it. It's it's loyalty and it's devotion as much as anybody I've ever met in my entire life that when I commit myself to something, I will do it. And it all comes back from my dad, from seeing him do that, working a job that he hated, you know, just to provide for me and my sister and working, you know, for, for a difficult marriage, you know, seeing my mum do the same thing, you know. This is devotion that I saw at a middle-class level and it's just hardwired within me. It really is. But Andrew says to me sometimes, eventually those are the sort of people that have success because you refuse to give up and you work through things. But if I'm so committed and obsessed with so many different things, I mean, every week now I have to do a blog. Every week now I have to do a podcast. Every night I have to write my journal. I am on this strict diet because of acid reflux. I have to exercise. I've got to work these different jobs to keep my head above water in Los Angeles. I've got this TV show that I'm trying to pitch and get funded. It goes on and on and on. Yeah, you know? and it becomes to a point where, you know, where you can't fight more battles than you can handle. You can't do more things than you can. I think you got to give yourself a little bit sometimes too. I think you're too hard on yourself. That's just me from the outside. You know, what do I know? Mm. Uh, I think we all can beat ourselves up. Yeah. I mean, if I think back to a lot of the happiest moments in my life, it was when I wasn't doing anything. I remember I took a year off after my first year wrestling. You know, I had to go back to England for a year and save up money to come back. And I was living in Oxford and I rented a room in a house and it was about a quarter of the size of this room. You could fit a single tiny little bed and there was a wardrobe and that was it. And that was all the space. There was almost no floor space after that. Sure. And I was working in a shitty office job, sure. 40 hours a week. And I was working in a bar, 30 hours a week. And the only thing I ate, I ate two meals. I ate breakfast, which was all bran with milk. And then my evening meal, I had pasta and a can of tuna and some cheese all melted together. That was all I ate. Once a week, I had McDonald's. That was my treat. Your treat for yourself. From McDonald's. Or if I was working the pub on Sunday, I'd get free food. Gotcha. But other than that, that was it. And it was one of the happiest times of my life because I wasn't worried about anything. I knew I was saving money. And in a year's time, I was going back to America and I was going to be a wrestler. And... It was a wonderful time and perhaps I need to learn that and maybe try and get back to it because that obligation that I got from being 19 and having meningitis and making that decision that I was going to live every moment, there's something to be said for just existing. Mm-hmm. So we will try to do that as yes. we will go forward to make sure next time you talk to me on the phone, say, yep. hey, have you just been existing? There you go. If you think I'll ever forget it, you're crazy. All right. You know better than that, right? Absolutely. Well, listen, thank you for the time. I really yes. appreciate it. And uh, thank you for your friendship. You yeah, know, it's, uh, very much so. It's interesting, as you said, why some people form friendships in life and, and others don't. But it's it's a wonderful thing. Yes, it know? is. It, it really very is. much is. And things 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 happen and cross. They're, 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 in my opinion, they're meant to be. I guess they happen so. for a reason. Let's hope so. They will. You'll be fine. All right, mate. Cheers. Yep. Let's go to the ecstasy. Well, that was my friend Shasta. Lovely fella, eh? Not sure we figured anything out, but uh, we had fun. And I can't help but love him. Next week on the podcast is Rye, a veritable expert on polyamory and sexual health. Interesting fella. Has dated multiple women at the same time, openly, conscionably, So is a wealth of experience and advice. And if you thought Shasta had some experiences, wait for Rye. 
First, her husband yells at me, use a condom. And I said, I am. It's on. I'll see you next week. Well, that is it. One week closer to Six Feet Under. Thanks for listening and being part of the journey. Drop me a line if you think you or someone you know would be a good match for me as a parenting partner here in Los Angeles. Before you go, though, you know the deal. Please rate, write a review, and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Show some love. I'll be back next week, but if you want more before, then you can read my weekly blog at nigelwrestling.com forward slash blog, where you can also buy merchandise, book me, or just send me a nice message. Until then, wherever you are, and whoever you're with, hope you find kindness and love. Be happy.